Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Will Nettleton, pastor of mission and worship here at LMPC, and this is a Pillar and Ground confession episode. In our confession episodes, we seek to understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. And this week, we are concluding our study of chapter 8. We've been looking at of Christ the Mediator, and we are looking at that chapter's final paragraph, paragraph Eight. So we're looking at chapter 8, paragraph 8, concluding uh, our study of Christ the Mediator. So far, we've looked at uh, who Christ is as our Redeemer, uh, what He has done uh, for our redemption, and how that redemption has been applied. So we've talked some about uh, how we are saved, how that application of redemption works throughout salvation history, how was it different or the same for Old Testament believers uh, as it is for us. Uh, who are on the other side of Christ's resurrection. And this paragraph really serves as a bridge between everything that's come before to everything that's going to come next. So we're really at a a nice break in the confession uh, here at the end of chapter 8, because next the confession is going to turn to talking about the doctrine uh, of salvation. So for now, let me uh, read paragraph 8 of chapter 8, and then we'll spend a few minutes unpacking it together. To all those for whom Christ purchased redemption, he certainly and effectually applies and communicates it. He makes intercession for them and reveals to them, in and by the word, the mysteries of salvation. He effectually persuades them by his spirit to believe and obey, and he governs their hearts by his word and spirit. He overcomes all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom in such a manner and by such ways as are most agreeable to his wonderful and unsearchable administration. So this final paragraph, as I mentioned, serves as something of a bridge between uh, what has come before in the confession on the doctrine of God and what's coming next. So we've been talking about Jesus and the redemption he's accomplished and how that's applied. And what's coming next in the confession, chapters 9 through 18, is a much deeper dive on salvation and redemption, what the scriptures have to say about how we are saved, what all salvation entails, what the application of redemption looks like in the lives of believers. So if we think about salvation as Christians being united to Christ, receiving Christ and all of his benefits, in chapter 8 we've been talking about Christ. The next few chapters are going to be talking about the benefits of salvation and how we experience those as believers. So this paragraph really is setting all of that up, and it begins by saying something that the confession has actually already said, who it is that experiences redemption. Who is saved? And the confession tells us it's all those for whom Christ purchased redemption. He certainly and effectually applies and communicates it to them, the the confession tells us. This is, again, a matter we've considered before, but just by way of reminder, we're talking here about the doctrine of what theologians call definite or limited atonement. If you're familiar with the acronym TULIP for understanding some of the major tenets of Calvinism, then then this will be familiar to you. But in case you're not, the essence of the doctrine of definite atonement, and and I tend to prefer that nomenclature rather than limited atonement. Limited makes it uh, sound somewhat, that can sound pejorative. And so I like the theologians who have gone with definite atonement is the substance of it is, while Christ's sacrifice is of infinite value and therefore sufficient to cover every sin of every person, past, present, and future, in God's sovereignty and providence, it is efficient for those who will be saved only. So just to summarize, I just said a lot, just to summarize that, Christ's sacrifice 
is sufficient for everyone. It is efficient for those who will be saved only for what the Bible calls the elect. So we see Jesus talking about this a few different places, particularly in the Gospel of John. So in John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He says a similar thing in John 10 when he talks about being the good shepherd and laying down his life for his sheep who will listen to his voice and follow it. So the benefits of so Jesus and the benefits of his life and death are not given to everyone, but only to those whom the Father has given to him and who will come to him and whom he will never cast out. Now, the alternative to this would be something like universalism. Uh, if Christ's work uh, were efficient for everyone, everyone would be saved. Uh, that's the reality here. If, if Christ's blood were applied on behalf of everyone, it would not be right for God uh, to judge anyone, to send anyone to hell. That would be uh, double jeopardy. They'd be being punished for sins that had already been atoned for. And so we really have to have uh, some category for how how the atonement works in the lives uh, of believers and of those who uh, ultimately are not saved. And Orthodox Christians know that the scriptures teach us not everyone will be saved. Jesus said this uh, a number of times, that there are going to be many on the day of judgment who are going to say to him, Lord, Lord, did we not do all of these things in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so what the confession is trying to help us with here is to think through what the Bible teaches us on the atonement and how that can be possible. If Christ's sacrifice is theoretically sufficient, uh, it is enough, it's of infinite value to cover uh, every possible sin, which we would affirm, uh, how do we make sense of the fact that some people are still cast out? And that's where this language of it being efficient for the elect only uh, comes in. So Westminster says Christ's redemption is certainly and effectually applied only to those who are his. It's important to note here that uh, that doesn't mean that the gospel is not freely and sincerely offered to everyone. The offer of salvation is offered to all. Uh, all Jesus offers it to everyone in the gospel, whether they are of his people or not, whether they are elect or not. Uh, as Jesus himself said in Matthew twenty sixteen, many are called, but few are chosen. So many are, are called. Everyone's given the opportunity. He says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He says over Jerusalem in Matthew twenty three, how often I wanted to gather your children together. He uses that language of like a mother hen, but you were not willing. Uh, so it's important to say there's a genuine offer uh, to everyone in the gospel. And Jesus says that anyone who accepts his offer will not be cast out. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. We already read that from John 6, 37. And so G.I. Williamson points out in his study on the confession, to say that Christ effectually applies redemption to his elect must not be twisted or perverted to mean that he restrains others from accepting his grace. The difficulty with those who are not effectually called is wholly within themselves. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2 tells us. They will not come to Christ. Uh, they were not willing. They, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, they consider his gospel a foolish thing. And so as we talk about this definite atonement peace and Christ saving those who are his, it's, that's an important distinction to remember. Christ is not preventing anybody from coming to him who wants to come to him. This is often a question that comes up. Well, well what if I want to be saved, but I'm not 
uh, I'm not of the elect. So someone will say something like, what if I wanted to be a Christian, but I'm not predestined? And the Bible says there just is no such category. Uh, no, no one is righteous. No, not one, Paul says in Romans 3, repeating some scriptures we've heard from the Old Testament. No one is rejected. No, Christ is not keeping anyone who wants to come from coming to him. The, the problem is not Christ uh, barring folks from coming. The problem is that people do not wish to come. In their sin, they're dead in their trespasses, and so they won't come. But anyone who does, uh, we are told Christ says, come, and I will never cast you out. And that's exactly what uh, the confession talks about next in in paragraph 8 of chapter 8, is how that process works. How is it that some come out of their sins and trespasses to Christ? How does that actually work in the life of the believer? Uh, This section hints at the doctrine of what's called later in the confession, effectual calling. And Effectual Calling gets its own chapter, two chapters from now, chapter 10. So we won't spend a lot of time camping out on it here, except to say what this paragraph already says. When the the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and brings us to faith, His work is effective. The Spirit, uh, Jesus through the Spirit, is not merely wooing us. He doesn't try to persuade us to believe. He effectively brings us to faith and obedience. That's an important point because the those who end up believing in Jesus only do so, the confession tells us, based upon the scriptures, because Christ has enabled them to do so. He creates a new heart within them so they will want to accept the salvation that he freely gives to all who will receive it. So he says in Luke 10, no one knows the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Uh, God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. And so this uh, section, paragraph 8, wants to say that Christ effectually persuades those who believe by His Spirit to believe and to obey, and that Jesus governs their hearts by His Word and Spirit. And in this section of paragraph 8, the confession is hinting at something that it makes far more explicit in the shorter catechism. It's uh, referencing what it will elsewhere call the offices that Jesus executes as our Redeemer. If you've ever heard of the categories of Jesus operating as our prophet, our priest, and our king, that is what the catechism talks about there, and it's the work that this uh, portion of the confession is referencing. So when it tells us that Jesus makes intercession for us and reveals to them in and by the word the mysteries of salvation, there's an element of both his priestly office there, him making intercession, and his prophetic office, that he is... Uh, revealing to us in and by the word the mysteries of salvation. As he effectually persuades us by his spirit to believe and obey and governs their hearts by his word and spirit, that governs, you can hear that language, uh, of kingly office. And then it goes on to say he overcomes all their enemies by his almighty power and wisdom. So this, again, paragraph 8 of chapter 8, is pointing over to the Westminster Shorter Catechism questions, particularly 23, 24, 25, and 26. What offices does Christ execute as our Redeemer? The offices of a prophet, of a priest, and of a king, both in his state of humiliation, that is, here on earth, and exaltation as he has ascended to the Father. So Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. He reveals to us God's will for our salvation and calls us to himself. He makes continual intercession. He lives to make intercession for us, Hebrews tells us. So he is our perfect priest even now. And he's our king. 
He is ruling and defending us. He is defeating all his and our enemies. He is our reigning king sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And so chapter 8 comes to a conclusion talking about who Christ is and his work by talking about all of those beautiful realities, that Jesus is our perfect prophet, priest, and king who applies to us the benefits of his work on our behalf, that he gives us salvation, redemption, that he works it in, works faith in us by his Holy Spirit. That desire we have to be saved is something that Jesus is working in us, and he is effectively doing it, which I think just to end on uh, a really encouraging note, I've always loved that verse in John where Jesus says, all that come to me, I will never cast out. This is going to come up later in the confession when it talks about the perseverance of the saints. But the good news of this doctrine of salvation is that we are going to make it. Jesus saves us, and so what that means is we don't have to worry about falling from salvation or falling from grace. Uh, We really can't affirm that doctrine of once saved, always saved, because Jesus says those who come to him, he will never cast out. And so that's good news for us as we finish chapter 8 and turn our attention next to the doctrine of salvation. So thank you for joining us for another episode of Pillar and Ground. We hope you will join us for future episodes.